you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. again church good morning and um, yes what a blessed weekend we had last week um, Easter Sunday Good Friday and um, it's great to have everyone back again um, you know I uh, I was speaking to my son the other day about Easter and about um, Jesus rising from the dead right and and then him ascending into heaven and he said something to me that stuck with me he said daddy I miss Jesus. He said, I miss Jesus. And it struck me because in his little mind, he was recognizing something that I think so many of us, even as Christians, we so often overlook. That though we spend so much time reading about Jesus and singing about Jesus and praying to Jesus and serving Jesus in the church, the truth is Jesus is not physically here with us. Is he? He's not. That is a mo- if you really if you stop and just think about that for a moment that is that is a most troubling reality for the Christian. I can imagine my son just he's hearing me and my, my wife and all of you we're talking about Jesus we're singing about Jesus all this stuff he's in his mind he's saying when will I meet him? <laughs> when are we going to see him? I miss him. I miss him. For the Christian whose life is supposed to be all about Jesus, it is the most troubling truth that we are physically apart from him. We're apart from him. Well, with his crucifixion just hours away, um, after washing their feet in John chapter 13, and then dismissing the betrayer, Judas, from the table, Jesus turns his attention to his own. Okay? He turns his attention to his own disciples. And he tells them something. This is the Last Supper. Okay, we're at the Last Supper. We're in the upper room. And Jesus tells his disciples the last thing, just about the last thing any of them wanted to hear, that he was leaving. That he was leaving them. And just like that, these 11 men, right? 11 men around the table who had left their jobs, had left their families, had left everything to follow him, right? Three years. Think about that. Three years they spent walking with him, talking with him, hearing his teaching, witnessing his his miracles, believing in the kingdom that he came to establish, putting basically all their hopes, all their dreams were in him only to, f- to discover that he was leaving them. I mean, church, can you just 
for a moment, just step into those shoes. Can you imagine how disorienting? Like how confused they would have felt or how anxious or, or, or afraid or, or, or just utterly distraught their hearts would have been. I mean, Jesus, how can you leave us? <laughs> After all that we've been through, how can you leave us now? How are we supposed to carry on without you here? Without you here with us. Well, it is on this background, okay, it is on this background that Jesus begins John chapter 14 with these words. John chapter 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. And so, what is going to follow in chapter 14, this chapter, are Christ's words of comfort. Can everyone say comfort? Comfort. I think you felt that already as we were singing those worship songs, right? Words of comfort. Christ's words of comfort to his disciples. That's what we're looking at this morning, okay? Last Friday, Good Friday, Pastor Ronald preached on verses 1 to 6 of chapter 14. And so we're going to focus, we're going to touch on that, but we're going to focus really on verses 7 to 20. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there, uh, John chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the, in the chair in front of you, John 14. And here's, here's the big picture, okay? Here's my prayer for you this morning, okay? My prayer is that as we remember where Jesus is, verses 1 to 6, who Jesus is, verses 7 to 11, and what Jesus has left us with, verses 12 to 17, as we remember those things, we too can be comforted this morning as his disciples when our troubled hearts long for him. Okay, so that's where we're going. Everyone with me? John chapter 14, turn there in your Bible, and I'd like to refresh your mind on what, was, what Jesus has said so far, what we covered last Good Friday in chapter 14. Look, 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 uh, follow along with me, chapter 14. Jesus says to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Can I just say, just before this, by the way, I didn't mention this, but I'll mention it now. Just before this, they also learned um, that the leader of the disciples, their fearless leader, was going to betray Jesus three times. Deny Jesus, I should say, three times before the rooster crowed, right? So, so, so they're troubled. Okay, here we go. Verse, chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That's what we covered last Friday. Faith. Faith is the antidote to troubled hearts, right? And as pastor said, that sounds like a cop-out sometimes, but it's not. It's truly the case that faith is the antidote to the troubled heart. He continues, verse 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? Jesus has done the business of lying. He, he says, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Verse 3, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will Come again and take you to myself that where I am you may be also. And by the way, verse 4, you know the way 
to where I'm going. And Thomas can't hold it in anymore, right? He's just, everyone's listening, but Thomas, no, no, hang on a second. Jesus, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? That makes sense, right? If you don't know the destination, there's no way you could know the route to get there. Verse 6, the famous I am statement, one of the, probably the most famous I am statement in the whole Gospel of John, verse 6, he says, I am the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And church, what I want to say to you first is, Jesus did not go to the Father in order to leave you and I. Okay? He didn't go to the Father in order to be away from us. Sometimes we see it that way, but that's not... If you believe in God, if you believe in Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, verse 2 tells us that Jesus has gone there not to be away from you, not to leave you, but to do what? To prepare a place for you. Oh, it feels like no one has real estate up there. Anyone? Amen! Thanks be to God. He's gone to prepare a place for you. And aren't you grateful that Jesus doesn't prepare places in order for them to be left vacant? Like all these houses in the housing market, right? Outpriced and no one is sitting. No, Jesus, if he's going to prepare a place, it is not going to be unoccupied. If he's preparing it, you can believe that when the time comes, he will come to take you to be with him there. Isn't that comforting, church? Isn't that comforting? Can you turn to someone and say, remember where Jesus is now? Turn to someone and say, remember where Jesus is now. In the midst of your moments of weakness, your moments of doubt, when you're walking and you're thinking your, your eyes are tempted to look to the right or to the left, and you're unsure if you're still on the right road, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Remember where I am right now with the Father preparing a place for you. As we speak, church, just think about that. What time is it? 10? 11 o'clock, sorry. 11 o'clock. Right now, 11 o'clock, Jesus is there preparing a place for you. He hasn't left you. He hasn't gone to be apart from you. He left to prepare a place for you. What a comfort it is. What a comfort that is. That was the text that was preached last week. Let's move to verses 7 to 11 now, okay? So the first thing I said was, remember where Jesus is. The second part of the text this morning, verses 7 to 11, remember who Jesus is, okay? Remember who Jesus, remember where he is, remember who he is. Let's look at verses seven, uh, 7 and 8. Here we go. Jesus continues, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen who? Him. Okay, keep, pay attention, okay? Because you're going to see in a moment, you know when students are listening, but, but, but they're not really listening to the teacher, so then the teacher says something, but then the, the student asks a question that shows that they, they weren't listening to any. That's exactly what's about to happen, okay? Because he says, you have seen the Father, and then here, look what Philip says. Philip says, Lord, 
show us the Father. <laughs> and it is enough for us. Show us the Father. Was he even listening? I don't know. But before we gang up on Philip, okay, poor Philip here, um, I just want to, I want us to be honest for a moment, okay, we're, we're among the church family, right, we can be honest. Have you not, have we, haven't we all had moments where you just wish you could see God for yourself? Haven't you had that moment? Of course you have. I have. Of course you have. Haven't you related with this desire of Philip? I mean, to the non-believers who look at us, you know when non-believers look at us as the church, they're like, you're worshiping a God you can't even see. That's what they think. You're worshiping a God you can't even see. And so the desire that may come into your heart is, if I could just see God with my own eyes, I would be content, right? It would be enough. Well, you can almost hear the sadness in Jesus' reply. Look at verse 9. He says, to, he says to Philip, Have I been with you so long? Do you hear the sadness in that? Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Remember, he asked, show us the Father. And now Jesus is saying, you don't know me? What does that mean? He goes on, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, verse 10, and the Father is in me? And so, church, the second thing the disciples had to remember, they had to remember from verses 7 to 11 was who Jesus is. And the answer is, Jesus is God. You know, I hope you don't, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, okay? I know most of you have grown up in the church, you know these things, but, but I hope you don't let the gravity of that statement fall, fall, be, fall to the wayside. Because when Jesus was talking to those children, you know, he said, little children come unto me, that was God. When Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, that was God doing that. Think about that. When Jesus casted out those demons from the pigs and the, and, the, and the demons said to him, have you come? That was God himself casting out those. They knew they had no chance. They knew. Because Jesus is, when you see Jesus, you are seeing God. You're seeing God himself. You know, you know in, 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 in Christian doctrine, the theology of the Trinity is probably one of the most, I don't know, one of the most profound mysteries um, of our faith, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet we don't believe in three gods. What do we believe in? One, a God who is one in being, one in essence, but subsisting in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Three persons, but they're one. And so what I'm saying is when you read in the Bible about Jesus, all the things pertaining to Jesus, you're not just reading about some really, really good moral teacher. You are actually reading about the God of the universe who took on flesh. That's what you're reading about. Jesus is God. So the disciples were, were, were their, their hearts were troubled and they were listening to Jesus at the table, but they're not just listening to, to any other person. This is God who's speaking to them. 
I mean, come on. If, if someone is making a promise to you, you guys make promises to me, you break it all the time, right? God doesn't break his promise. If God says something, you can take that to the bank. Even the banks fail, right? Oh my goodness, banks fail. Jesus is God. And when your troubled heart is tempted to forget that truth, Jesus gives us two reasons you should not forget it, okay? Two proofs of his, de of his deity in verses 10 and 11. Look at verse 10. He says, the first proof, okay? If you want to remember that Jesus is God, here's the first proof. Remember his words. His words. What does it say? The words, verse 10, the words that I speak to you, say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. His words, church. His words. So, so every Christian here, you, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? You can attest to this, that when you have read the Bible, especially when you first became a Christian, you realize there's something about the authority of these words. It's unlike anything you've ever read. Can someone say amen, right? It's unlike anything else you've ever read. No human author could produce this. Why? What is that inside you? You are recognizing the authority of these words. And when you do that, Jesus says, remember that he is God. That's why you can't reproduce this in human literature. That's why Shakespeare come, doesn't even come close to this. Remember, he is God. And if that doesn't do it for you, okay, if his words are not enough, look at verse 11. He says his works. Okay, his words, and now he says, his, remember his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else, or else, believe on account of what? The works. The works themselves. You know, I'm going to do something that I've done again. I hope you guys don't mind. Um... I'm not reusing material, okay? It's, that's not what it, this isn't a comedy show, but this is really from Scripture. I listed the mir miracles of Jesus. Do you remember? A, few, a couple of months ago, a, few, a sermon ago. Um, and I got to tell you this. After that, after that message, someone came to me in the fellowship hall, and uh, they said to me, oh, as you were listing the miracles, it sounded like you were rapping. <laughs> and I said... I'm not a rapper, okay? That's, that's not what I was doing, I, pr I, I promise you. <laughs> um, I say this, genuinely, church, I say this to you because when we remember the works of Jesus, it helps us remember that he is God, that he is God. Just, 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 just remember these. We've covered these throughout this series. Water turned into wine, right? Thousands fed from a few loaves and I'm not rapping, okay, whoever, right? The stormy wind and sea calmed at the sound of his voice. Do you remember this? Do you remember the, when he walked on water? Or when he healed all those, the official son and the centurion's servant and the mother-in-law and the bleeding woman who touched the hem of his garment? Do you remember that? Do you remember when the, the lepers were cleansed and the paralytic took up his bed and walked? Do you remember the crippled, uh, the withered hand that was restored? Do you remember the severed ear that was, that was replaced? Do you remember the blind who could see and the mute who could speak and the deaf who could hear? 
or the oppressed who were freed. Do you remember this church? Do you remember the demons cast into pigs or the dead widow's son and Jairus' daughter and Lazarus, all of them raised to life? Do you remember? Before the most glorious miracle of all, his own resurrection, three days after dying on the cross for our sins. Church, when you remember his words and his works, it will help you to remember who he is. Because when you remember who Jesus is, it will comfort your troubled heart. It will comfort your troubled heart. And that's the second part. Can you turn to someone and say, remember who Jesus is? Remember who Jesus is. Can we, can we cross the aisles? That's fine. Remember, up there too, remember who Jesus is. Amen. So remember where Jesus is. Remember who Jesus is. And that brings us to the third part of our text this morning, verses 12 to 17. And this, I, this I'm titling it, Remember What Jesus Has Left Us With. Okay? Remember what Jesus has left us with. Okay? We have not been left here without a purpose. Okay? The disciples would have been sitting there confused and anxious and, and afraid and not really sure, well, what do we do now? Everyone flocked to see Jesus, and we were just the band of brothers following him around. He's going to leave. What are we supposed to do? Can you imagine what would have been going through their minds? The questions, the uncertainties. What are we supposed to do? How are we going to figure this out? Well, well, Jesus comforts their troubled hearts by, with four things that he has left for them. He has left them with. The first, okay, I'm going to go through it one at a time. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 in your Bibles. He left them with work to be done. Okay? Jesus left his disciples with work to be done. Look what he says, verse 12. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. If you've attended our Bible study in the book of Acts, and yes, I'm asking you to attend if you're not, come, okay? But if you've attended, our, you know that this promise Jesus is making right here in John 14, this promise came true. You know that. that. That these disciples, these bumbling 11 disciples, the apostles, they would go on to not, not just, they did, they did miraculous works. You know that. It's, it's throughout the New Testament. You can read about Peter and Paul and all these guys doing miracle after miracle. And those miracles were normative. Until the New Testament was completed, those miracles were normative. And they did them. They did the miracles of Jesus, similar miracles to Jesus. But that's not all Jesus did when he was on earth. What else did Jesus do? What was the main part of his ministry? Preaching and teaching the good news. Proclaiming the kingdom, right? That's what Jesus did. And that's what the disciples carried on. Right? They did the, yes, they did the miraculous works as, as, to attest to the message, but also they, pre, they proclaimed the good news that Jesus preached. I don't know if you noticed in verse 12, 
Jesus calls their works, he characterizes their works, comparing their works to his works, what does he say? Your works will be greater. Now, I have to be honest, I pause there because, like, is that really true? Think about it. Did the disciples do greater works than the Son of God himself? And the answer is, in, an, in a sense, yes. They did. What do I mean? Because Jesus only ministered full-time for how many years? Three. To a small, relatively small group of people in first century Palestine. That's where Jesus ministered. Okay? That's, that was the extent, the scope of his ministry. Um, but after he ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to empower the disciples, what did they do? Well, they preached sermons where literally thousands were saved. That's what they did. Not they did, the Holy Spirit did through them. What did they do? They, they went and were sent as missionaries all over the Roman Empire, right? Planting churches that planted churches that planted churches so that 2,000 years later, church, you and I are living proof of the greater work of the Holy Spirit. Aren't we? We are. Of the greater work that the Holy Spirit continues to do in and through His Christ's disciples. So, beloved, what a comfort it is to us. I don't want any one of you to say, I don't have a purpose here. There is work for, you to be, for, for us to do. If you're a disciple of Jesus, there is work for you and I to do. Greater work that Christ has left for us. That's the first thing. The second thing Jesus left us with, verses 13 to 14. Look in your Bibles, 13 to 14. The second thing he left us with was a promise to provide. Okay, so the first thing was he left us with work to be done. Second thing, he left us with a promise to provide. Now, now read this verse carefully because people, okay, let's just read it. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, I have to be very careful. Okay? Because this is a verse that is misunderstood in evangelical circles today, right? Um, just to be clear, just because you add in Jesus' name to the end of your prayer does not mean God is obligated to give you an iPhone. Okay? That's not what that means. I know some of you are smiling because you thought that way, right? It's not, and I did too, much, uh, uh, when, I, when I first came to the Lord. I did. But that's not what Jesus is saying. What is he saying? He says that even though he is apart from us, physically apart from us, he is only a prayer away. Sit on that for a moment. Even though Jesus is not physically here with you and me, he is a prayer away. And guess what? He's listening. We don't have a God who doesn't listen, listen, church. When you pray, you're not talking to the air, right? You're not talking to the air. He's listening. How do we know? Because he says that if you ask anything that is, that is in his name, what does in his name mean? It means in accordance with 
his will, in accordance with his nature. Okay, that's what it means to pray in his will. If you ask anything, and if the purpose of your prayer, look at verse 13 again, if you ask anything to glorify God, right? That what's the end of the prayer? That the Father may be glorified. So if that's the end of your prayer, that's the purpose why you're praying, guess what? Jesus says, I will do it. Isn't that a comfort, church? Isn't that a comfort as we try to do ministry in a world that's becoming more and more secular and anti-Christ? Right? Isn't it comforting to know that, that whatever we ask for this purpose, to glorify God, Christ promises He will provide. There's an implication here. If He doesn't provide, you've got to ask the question, would this have even glorified God? Right? Would this have glorified God? But for these disciples, man, what a comfort this would have been, right? What a comfort that... that We've left our jobs. We left our families. We're here with you. You're about to leave. What are we going to do? And he says, whatever you need to glorify God, ask me, I will provide it. A promise to provide. The third thing Jesus left us with, look at verse 15 now. Look at verse 15. Jesus left us with commandments to obey. Okay? commandments to obey. Look at verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will keep my commandments. How do we know, friends, if someone truly loves Jesus? How do you know? Right? Because you and I might be tempted, you know, during a worship service, or I've seen even in the past, you know, watching other services, You can see that you might be tempted to think that the people who are crying tears or the people who are expressing emotion in all these different ways, they're the ones who love Jesus the most, right? That might be a temptation in your mind to think that way. I'm not saying that's not the case always, right? Please don't feel bad about expressing emotion here, okay? You're welcome at church. But what I'm saying is, what is the measure of love for Jesus, What is the measure of your love for Jesus? Obey his commands. Obey his commands. He's not asking you to to do a big dance up here, right? He's not asking you to shed tears even. He says, keep my commandments. That's how you show you love him. Well, I guess I should back up a little bit. You got to know his commandments, right? I mean... To, to keep them, to obey them, you have to know them first. But you got to obey. That's how you show love for Jesus. Don't say you love Jesus if you're not keeping his commandments. You know, Matthew, Matthew Henry, um, a great commentator of, of days old, he, he, he says about the disciples in this verse, and I love this. He says, when they were showing their, follow me, when they were showing their love to Jesus by their grieving, They're grieving, right? By their grieving his departure, the sorrow which filled their hearts, he bids them, if they would show their love to him, do it not by these passions, but by a universal obedience to his commands. That's the message there, right? Don't just 
show me you love me with all these acts and this cross and all. No, no, no. Obey my commands. Obey my commands. So, Jesus left us with his, with his commands to obey. And fourth, the last thing, verses 16 to 17, remembering what Jesus left us with. Um, or as my wife, you know, I thank God for my wife. She, she's here and she, um, she corrects me when I'm wrong. And that's often. But what I did was, I, I, when, I, when I said this to her, she said, actually, you know, you can't say remembering what Jesus left us with for this last point, but it's remembering who Jesus left us with. So thank you, love. Um, but it's true, right? Who Jesus left us with? The Spirit to help. Okay? The Spirit to help us. Look at verse 16. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever forever. Even, check this out, verse 17, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Beloved, as you look around at the world we live in today, okay, just be honest, are you not getting more and more discouraged by how much error and falsehood there is out there? People are becoming more and more deluded by lies. Lies of the enemy, right? Who is the liar? The enemy. Our adversary, the devil. People don't know the difference between life and death in the womb. People don't know the difference between right and wrong anymore. People don't even know the difference between male and female anymore. But aren't you comforted that Jesus left us with the Holy Spirit of truth that we might not be deceived that we might not be tricked into falsehood the spirit of God which and this is key doctrinally okay who dwelt with believers before Pentecost okay with believers but after Pentecost he dwells in Believers. You know that, right? The difference. So before Old Testament, time of Jesus, he dwelt with believers, because you can't come to faith throughout the Old Testament without the Holy Spirit, right? With them. But in the, in, after Pentecost, he dwells in us. Isn't that a comfort to you, church? You have that helper with you today. Pointing you and illuminating to you this very word, the words of Christ. He's taking it and impressing it on your own heart. The, the helper. Guiding and helping us, guiding us into all truth. So, these are the four things. Work to be done. What is Jesus? Remember what Jesus has left us with. Work to be done, a promise to provide, commandments to obey, and the Spirit to help. So, can you turn to your neighbor and just say, Remember what Jesus has left us with? Amen. Amen. Um, when our hearts are troubled from being physically apart from Jesus Christ, let us remember these things, church. Remember where he is now. Remember who he is. And remember what he has left us with. As we conclude, um, these last three verses, Jesus kind of um, wraps everything up in a beautiful way to his disciples. I, I want you to hear this. He says, um, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. 
as orphans. And before I had my own son, I had a little bit of understanding of this because, you know, in my work, we would see, you know, families or, or patients who didn't have parents or who were in foster care or everything else. And, and so I had a bit of exposure to this, but, but once you have your own child, to think of an orphan. What is an orphan? A child who has no father and who has no mother to care for them, to provide for them, to love them, to comfort them, right? To protect them. That's what an orphan is. Church, Jesus did not leave you and I as orphans. You may feel that way, but you are not. It's not true. It's not true. Because the word says, he has not left them as orphans. Why? Verse 18, he says, I will come to you. He hasn't left you and abandoned you. He will come to you. Verse 19, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. So I have to explain this in context. What does this mean? Remember, we were at the Last Supper, right? It's the Last Supper, just hours away from the crucifixion. So what is he saying? That indeed, in just a few hours, the whole world, no one was going to see Jesus. Why? Because he was going to die on the cross, right? He was going to die. But for his disciples, Sunday was coming. Sunday was coming when they would see the risen Christ again. And can I say something to you, church? Just as you and I, brothers and sisters, we too will see him again. We will see him. We will. When our faith shall turn to sight. What was the song we sang last week, the choir? On that day, right? On that day. When our faith shall be turned to sight so that we can comfort, we can comfort one another. I even comforted my own son as he said, you know, I'm going to, I miss Jesus. I said, John, just like the disciples said, by Jesus as he ascended, one day we are going to say, hi, Jesus, when he returns. We're going to say, hi, Jesus. Because I live, verse 19, he says, you also will live. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Church, you already know this, that if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, right? If Easter doesn't come, guess what? All of this preaching is in vain. You know that, right? Like everything we do as a church is nothing if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead. Your faith is futile, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. It's futile. Why? Because you and I were still in our sins. And here's the most troubling thought. If Jesus doesn't rise, all those people we had funerals for and we buried them as Christians thinking we'll see them again, they've perished. If Jesus didn't rise... If Jesus doesn't rise and the hope that we have in this life ends when we die and we are of all people on earth the most to be pitied if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead. But church, because he lives, 
Because he lives, you who believe in him, you who are united to Christ by faith, you will also live. You will live. That's the basis. This isn't wishful thinking, right, church? This isn't wishful thinking we're trying to propagate to make ourselves feel better when the world around us really, really sucks. That's not what this is. This is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus that we have this hope that because he lives, we also will live. And so I say to you, disciples, if you're a disciple this morning, let not your hearts be troubled, okay? Let not your hearts be troubled. I want to um, say one last thing, and then I'll call the worship team to come. I realize that um, for all these things we've talked about, all these words of comfort, right, that we've delighted in as a church, I'm, I'm not unaware that some of you here in this room have yet to believe in God, right? That's the truth. That some of you here, you've yet to actually believe in God. And as we've been talking and as this message has gone on, you, have, you know deep down inside the truth is that you're not one of Christ's disciples. Right? You're not. And I need to tell you this, and I, I'm saying this with all the love I can muster up right now to express to you, I need to tell you that this message was not for you. It was not for you. And I don't want you to get me wrong because I'm so glad you stayed and you listened. I am. I'm really glad you stayed and listened. Because you you could have gotten up and left. You could have left. As we unpack these words of comfort from Jesus to his own disciples, but the truth is, this was a message from Jesus to his own disciples, right? Even Judas has been excused from the table at this point. This was not a message for everyone. And perhaps as you listen this morning, as the people around you, the believers around you, their hearts were being comforted and comforted and comforted, perhaps your own heart has become more and more troubled by the comforts that you now know you are, you lack because you are apart from Christ. And if that's you, there is no comfort I can give you right now aside from telling you to repent and believe. Repent and believe in God, believe in Christ. That's how chapter 14 began. Believe in God. Believe in Christ because he died for your sins and he rose that you may have life. That you may have life. Worship team, if you can come. And um, church, if you can stand, those of you who are able, and let us, um, let us pray. Let's pray. Yes, Christ, we, we miss you. 
We are aware, O oh God, that we live this life apart from you, physically apart from you. So when our hearts become troubled, help us to remember where you are right now, preparing a place for us. Help us to remember who you are, that you are God. Help us to remember what you have left us with. Work to be done. Your promise to provide. Commandments for us to obey. And your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to help us. God, thank you that you have not left us as orphans. You will come to us again. And because you live, we also will live. So God, may your disciples this morning be comforted in their hearts, their troubled hearts. But may those of us who are not yet your disciples, may they repent and believe that their troubled hearts might find comfort in Jesus Christ alone. Our Savior, our Lord, in his name, in his name we pray, amen.